Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Captain Sensible is a songwriter, musician, and singer based in Brighton, England. In 1976, he co-founded The Damned, a hugely influential and uncompromising band who, along with the likes of the Sex Pistols and The Clash, are cited as the forefathers of British punk. But unlike virtually all of their high-profile contemporaries, The Damned never burned out. In fact, on April 13, 2018, they released their 11th full-length album, a mighty, outspoken, and critically acclaimed record called Evil Spirits, which charted at number 7, marking the first time The Damned has ever released a record that broke the top 10 in England. Evil Spirits was produced by longtime David Bowie collaborator Tony Visconti and is out via the labels Spine Farm and Search and Destroy. The captain and I recently had a pleasant conversation about why he doesn't listen to any new music, his upbringing in the rough city of Croydon, touring with T-Rex, giving Hans Zimmer his big break, where the damned came from, the pointed purpose within evil spirits, and much, much more. With in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, and Planet of Sound locations in Ottawa and Toronto, and, of course, flexible monthly pledges by listeners like you at patreon.com slash Control. This is the 393rd episode of Creative Control, featuring Captain Sensible of the Damned, with your host, me, Vishkana.
Hello, Captain Sensible. Uh, are you there? Hello, Vish. How are you doing? It's uh, your old mate, Captain, here. <laughs> nice to speak with you, Captain. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure and honor. Thank you for being on this show. Uh, first of all, as I, I tend to do, I'd like to ask where in the world you are at the moment. Oh, um, I'm in Brighton, where I live, um, south coast of England. It's uh, not particularly sunny. Uh, it's, it's terminally trendy, it was described as. Uh, it must be because Nick Cave lives there. <laughs> ah, yes, a uh, uh, guest, previous guest of this show, Nick Cave is uh, a neighbor of yours. Is that right? He is. Yeah, I mean, he's so cool. You know, he doesn't bat an eyelid when he walks past anyone. He doesn't. You know, it's just one of those places, Brighton. It's just full of kind of people in bands and stuff who just do enough to get by don't particularly sort of overexert themselves i certainly don't yeah do you do you do you i know he walks by doesn't bat an eye but do you ever engage in conversations with nick because i had an interesting interaction with him on this show oh god no no (laughs) i I mean i i was brought up you know as as an english bloke you know you don't um talk to anyone unless unless you've been introduced you, you, you don't talk to anyone. <laughs> that's a, that's no, a, unless you, unless you've been unless you've been formally introduced. You know, I'd, you know it's kind of presumptive to uh, go up to someone and say hello. I know who you are. Do, do you know who I am? <laughs> blah blah. <laughs> are you are you someone? <laughs> I think some people, because of his reputation, are somewhat intimidated by Nick. Uh, are you someone? Is it is it, is that it? Does that feed into it at all? Do are you slightly wary of talking I, to him? No, not uh, the, the embarrassing thing would be if uh, he asked me if I knew any of his music, and and uh, I, I'd have to say no. I've I've never heard any of your tunes, mate, because basically I haven't bought a single record since 1980. I can't stand modern music. It's a load of old dross. <laughs> well, if I may, you should check out his band, The Birthday Party. I think that would definitely be to your liking. That's from the oh. just past 1980 in the early 80s. People always say that to me. You've got to listen to so-and-so. Whenever I do, I'm always really disappointed. I'm going to stick with the records I love. Um, you know, I've got some of the greatest music known to mankind that's ever been made. You know, Rachmaninoff, um, Brian Wilson, um, Sergeant Pepper... Uh, the birds. I don't need anything, you know. <laughs> I don't need anything else. I've got I've got a fabulous uh, vinyl record collection, and I don't want any um, new stuff to kind of pollute it. To be to be quite honest. So so what? You, I mean, you're a touring musician. You you are exposed, I would think, to new music from time to time. And and obviously, you've come to this conclusion because you've been exposed to new music and don't think it's worthwhile. Is that fair to say? I just haven't got the um, patience, I suppose, to... Well, no, it's more than that, actually. Uh, I really find bad music upsets me. Um, it, it really annoys me. I, I find the laziness. I'm, I t- I'll give you an example. Um, my kids uh, badgered me into getting tickets for a very famous um, American punk rock band, um, and one, um, there's a color in one of the, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. One of, yeah, uh, anyway, there's a color um, and then there's a, the, there's maybe a time of a certain point in a week yes. is referenced as well. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. But naming no, naming no names yeah, yeah, I yeah. Went along and after about five songs, 
I stormed out. I left the kids there. They were, they were loving it because they hadn't heard the songs before I had. I knew every riff. I knew every tune. I knew every nuance, everything that they'd stolen. I stomped off to the bar and I said, look, I've got these records the first time round. They were better. And, you know, the people who created them were geniuses. These people, you know, this is kind of blatant theft. I, I've no interest in listening to, uh, you know, and they're getting away with it. Good luck to them. But um, I stood at the bar and I, I, I stood there with another parent who said, yeah, same here. I've got these records by the Kinks and, uh, you know, the Beatles that they nicked. Yeah, terrible, isn't it? So and then we, we proceeded to we proceed to get drunk. <laughs> moan, moan, moan. <laughs> I know that when you were uh, coming up in, in The Damned and, and when punk rock was emerging, I think people saw that uh, there were connections to 50s garage rock and The Who and The Kinks as well. Did you face such criticism? Do you recall facing such criti criticism of, about being derivative when you were first uh, emerging and playing out? You've got to be influenced by something, and we, Dave and myself, agree that you know punk rock, uh, you know, it comes from the seeds and the electric prunes and the chocolate watch band and all, all those kind of those marvelous bands that the music was always teetering on the brink of kind of collapsing, and mm -hmm. it, it wasn't kind of you know impeccably played by virtuosos. Let's put it that way. It, it was just um, you know. There was passion and, uh, you know, there were people overstretching themselves. And, and I really like that. It's, it sounds fresh. Still still sounds fresh to my ears. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of rock music has kind of, uh, you know, it sounds stodgy and overdone. And the lyrics about, you know, um, I mean, there's a lot of macho kind of nonsense in rock music. Um, and, and, you know, that a lot of it's just been done over and over again you think oh god this dredging up this turgid old riff <laughs> but you know um but you know give me a fuzz guitar and a far feeser and it just it always kinds of it, it sounds great yeah you seem to be into the sort of primal rock aspects of of, of the music i mean that that appeals to you that configuration of our and a guitar has a timelessness that you appreciate it sounds like yeah, it's you know you can. It, it's not overdone. It's not uh, you know you. It's you're stripped down, and uh, I've, yeah, the, to a certain extent, rock music has been you know, destroyed by um, all this hugely powerful software and studio um, trickery that people use nowadays. Like, a, I mean, Pro Tools and um, the the compre the massive compression and. Yeah. Uh, enhancement, the auto tune. Uh, I mean, the list is endless. All these plugins that they use, it's just uh, completely over the top nowadays. And um, my ears just can't take it. Yeah. The pumping kind of compression. When I listen to these songs, I mean, that might be part of the reason I don't listen to much modern music, you know. It's not just because I'm an old fart, it's because. Uh, they're doing something different nowadays, and my advice to a young band would be to to go in and keep it real, um, not to um, overlayer the guitars. You don't need to, you know, keep layering guitars over and over again, and to make it bigger and fatter and 
louder than anyone else has ever been in the past and all that old nonsense. I mean, just you... keep it keep it real, you know. Just have a, a band going in and and not and keeping the overdubs to a minimum. Yeah. Why not? You you mentioned not you 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 mentioned self consciousness about sounding like an old fart, but I, I'm I'm 40 years old now, and I. I, when I describe MP3 fatigue to younger people, they don't know what I mean. I don't think like I can't listen to MP3s for an extended period of time because it just it drains me. I don't like it. It's a horrible feeling. It's I don't like I don't enjoy it. But as you're talking, like and I've done this too. Like, do you ever worry that you you do sound just like an old codger sometimes? You know, who can't relate to the young people and. <laughs> And how they relate. Like, sometimes I worry that that's what I sound like. I'm just like, well, we did it better, you know? Yeah, I, I swore I'd never be that person. <laughs> I always thought I'd find something, you know, of worth in whatever the young generation were doing. But I, I have to beg to differ with you. I don't think it's MP3 fatigue. I think it's the recording process. Hmm. Um, there's nothing wrong with an MP3, I promise you. If you listen to Pet Sounds on an MP3, a decent quality MP3. No, 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 that, that's fair. No, that's fair. Like a lossless, it, it's it, just that bit rate that they usually distribute is so low. Uh, you know, 128 yeah. kilobytes per second. That, like, I mean, most wave files of that form and, are in the thousands. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've got, I've got like, you know, um, I, I carry MP3s around me like everyone sure, else. Sure. And I, my, uh, 192 is fine, is good enough for anyone really and yeah. um uh, this, it's not the uh, mp3 that's at fault it's the actual processing that they use on modern music all the auto tuning and auto correction i mean uh, we was in the studio uh my drummer pinch he said come in come in next door there's a band i really like in there you know it's uh he mentioned the name of course i didn't know because um, being an old git and um, anyway we went in and um, he said he asked the drummer to play the drum fill on a certain song uh, because Pinch said to me oh, I'd really be impressed you know and the drummer the poor old drummer got all sheepish and he said I can't actually play it it was something we pro tours you know oh no and um, it's yeah it, it, how embarrassing is that and another thing is uh, you go to see bands live and they're mixing in their latest CD into the into the sound. Yeah. You, know, you can see the guy at the, mi the mixing desk doing that. Yeah. And that's just blatant cheating. A band should be a live band should be live, and you shouldn't do that stuff. It's yeah. just wrong. I think the audience, to a certain extent, do, don't know who's doing it. You know, but I I find myself hearing acoustic guitars and there's nobody on stage who's holding one. You know, and <laughs> lots of backing vocals and and you know there's only <laughs> you know female backing vocals and there's like sort of you know four ugly ugly blokes on the stage i mean what's going on <laughs> do you do you think it's that people don't know or do you think it's that they don't think people will care i feel like music has been diminished to the point where people don't uh, the people making it and are behind the kind of nefarious stuff you're talking about i think they recognize that there's a certain pop certain members of the population don't actually care that much about music it's a fashion and so they don't really care about the nuances that you're describing. Like, I, I, I feel that sometimes. I think they're just taking advantage of people who, who don't know better. Yeah, they are taking advantage, and, and uh, a lot in the audience, they don't really know. Uh, you know, if you, if you sit there lip-syncing um, and standing there with a guitar, an, an acoustic guitar, and there's a, an electric guitar coming out of the speakers, they wouldn't actually know 
what was wrong. And it, the bass drum, they often, some people think um, that the bass drum is where you put the logo of the band, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Is, do, do you mean he's actually playing that with his foot? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> there are people who think that. <laughs> well, I mean, I will say, first of all, I appreciate that you're still out there making music. And, and, and I want to talk about Evil Spirits uh, in a moment. And I, and, and I should say, congratulations. This is a... Uh, an amazing record, and it's a landmark achievement because I believe it it, represent, it reflects some chart success that the Damned have never had before. Is that correct? Oh yeah, um, it is. I mean, we've been shunned and uh, ignored for so many years, so it's quite a surprise actually to uh, to get in the top ten. Yeah, I suppose if you you know if you keep going long enough, um, in, from being pariahs. You, you suddenly become uh, acceptable, which is a really strange thing because we had uh, we played my hometown of Croydon, um, where I was. Uh, in fact, uh, in the venue where I cleaned the toilets, it was the Fairfield Halls, it's called, it's council venue, and um, the local mayor of Croydon, um, a guy called Stuart, uh, said. Could I introduce you? Because I've seen the I've seen the damn play now forty odd times, hmm. which um, you know, I mean. So he came out on st stage with his uh, chains of office and all that, and uh, he got a few jeers from the audience. But I mean, I did think I thought to myself, we we were really a horrible bunch of unpleasant so and sos back in the day. I mean, I wouldn't have liked to have met <laughs> to, to to have met us in a social situation because you know you'd end up like sort of yeah you know, covered with beer and like sort of you know in some court of some kind of ruckus. So nowadays we're a bit older, and I suppose uh, aging gentlemen of the road and like sort of a, we're, yeah, we're not we're not so horrible. We say hello to people and shake shake people's hands nowadays. Well, what's happened to us? It's shocking. <laughs> no, it's great, and I, I think it's born of experience on some level. And I want to ask you a little bit about your your upbringing there. You say you were born in in uh, Croydon. You say so. What, what was it like growing up there? It was. Uh, it's really. You, you can't, I don't know what people learn at school nowadays, but they taught us about the kings and queens and the empire of uh, Britain and, uh, you know, how uh, the, the colonies, you know, have gone back to the these various countries. And but one day Britain will be great again, all that old nonsense. And I just I had no interest whatsoever in any kings and queens. In fact, I try and I try and slip an anti-royal song on most albums that I have a, a hand in, you know. Yeah. Um, it was Croydon's. It was a rough and ready place, Croydon. Um, yeah, it was always a punch up around, you know, the next corner if you wanted it. So you, you were you were toughened up just by your surroundings. Well, I, I was very good at running. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it, was, it, it was a rough and ready place. I, uh, this guy, uh, Wes Oshorsky, who did the uh, film about Lemmy, he did yeah. Lemmy, the movie, I don't know if you... Yeah. He, he made a film about the damned um, mad fool that he was. And uh, he said, Captain, I really want you to take me, uh, to show me, you know, where you were brought up and, you know, the street and 
street where you lived and all that stuff. So I took him down. I said, it's a bit rough, Wes. He said, Captain, trust me. I live in like sort of, you know, a rough area of Los Angeles. I can handle it. I said, okay. So anyway, as we were walking down um, Edith Road, where I was uh, born and raised, um, sure enough, this bloke whacked him over the head and tried to steal his uh, 60 grand camera. Wow. Um, and uh, tried to mug him and run off with it. And uh, Wes ended up in hospital. I said, I told you. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So it's still rough. Yeah, it's still rough. The, the, I saw the camera. They had a struggle um, for this camera. And neither of them would let go. Anyway, the thing went flying in the air. And I saw it rotate in slow motion and then crash down to the floor and smash into a million pieces. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, that's what you get when you try to chronicle the damned, I guess. Well, yes, yeah. This, this, this is that's what, what happens when you. That's what happens when you go to Croydon. <laughs> this is why we're doing this long distance, by the way. I didn't want my stuff to get ruined. Uh, I, I think <laughs> I think you would be plenty kind. So, when did you, you know, you're, you're growing up in this slightly threatening place, I suppose. At least you had to, you know, keep your wits about you. When did you ex- start to explore music as both a a fan, a listener, and then as a as a player yourself. The, I remember the school careers officer saying, "Well, look, you're you're tall. Uh, you've not ac- academic, and you know you haven't got much option of a decent job. So, why don't you think about <laughs> joining the army or the police?" <laughs> but uh, yeah, which uh, didn't really appeal. Um, I'm not very good at taking orders. I, I'm a natural kind of rebel. So uh, I, I thought one day when I was, I, I did eventually become, you know, um, which is probably was going to be my um, my level of kind of opportunity, uh, toilet cleaning for uh, Croydon Council. Hmm. Um, I, I toilet cleaned at the uh, Fairfield Halls, the aforementioned place where, anyway, so they had uh, rock concerts on Sunday evening and um, I was showing people to their seats. I had washed my hands before. Um, good, and, uh, good, to, I, good to note. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, this particular Sunday, Mark Boland comes on stage with T-Rex and he had like the whole audience, which was, I mean, it must have been 99.9% female. He had them all eating out of the palm of his hand. And I sort of, I thought to myself, I want that job. Hold on, what am I doing cleaning bogs for a living? So uh, I went out and uh, I bought myself a guitar and I, and I practiced and practiced and practiced um, several hours a day sometimes. Uh, and I, I, I got reasonably competent, you know, in a couple of years or so. And uh, I thought, well, that, that's, that's well, it was obviously something I wanted to do rather than what I was doing. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and you know, um, it didn't look as though. I mean, I, the problem is, uh, unless you're exceptionally talented or can write a brilliant song, or um, you're you're very very good looking, um, you, you basically go in a, in the hat, and it's the luck of the draw in, uh, in the music game. You you know you've got hundreds and well you've got thousands of people wanting to do the same thing and only some only a certain percentage maybe two or three percent can become successful right but luckily for me so it looks as though i was going to be um you know one of the also rands but luckily punk rock came along and saved my ass um because <laughs> i was 
having, having a bad attitude um, and a, an anti-establishment kind of point of view, I was in pole position when punk rock came along, and um, the, the, the rest is history. Um, speaking of history, it should be noted, and I believe this is correct, didn't The Damned end up opening for T-Rex on a tour? We did, yes. I, 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 was, I became a very big fan. And I, I was wearing a, a T-Rex T-shirt when we did a gig, and Mark got to see that. And um, unlike some of the uh, old guard, um, you know, people like Genesis and Yes and, uh, and these bands that they absolutely, they saw nothing of any worth in punk rock. Mark saw an opportunity to grab a chunk of uh, a new audience, a new young audience. But which band would he take out to tour with him? Hmm, maybe the maybe the one that had a bloke wearing a T Rex T shirt, which was which was me. So um, yeah, so that's why he chose the Damned, and uh, we got on absolutely brilliantly. And I think we caught him at a great time when um, he'd had his superstar phase, and and the arrogance had kind of diminished. Um, I mean, I didn't see him like that, you know, but. Uh, I heard stories. Right. Um, he, we got him when he was quite humble, and he was a really, really nice chap to us. It took us out on his own tour bus, um, and uh, he used to chat to us about, you know, how, you know, give us pep talks on how to deal with studios and managers and stuff. Yeah, good bloke he was. Yeah, no, that's it's an amazing. That's a real rags to riches story. The fact that you were cleaning toilets ushering people at the arena at their show and then you end up playing with them like that doesn't that's like a movie script almost that's amazing <laughs> yeah but box to riches <laughs> now you say we you're... call them box over it oh, yeah. Bo- boxing no we don't call them bogs in, in canada no i don't think so all right that no. seems like uh, lingo from the 70s i know you mostly like music from the pre-1980s so maybe is that still a thing do people still call them bogs yeah oh yeah it's, uh, I, I like the old lingo. Yeah, no, it's good. It's, I, I might start calling it that now. I don't know if anyone will understand <laughs> me, but I think I might start doing that. You mentioned yeah. you mentioned your attitude placed you in pole position for punk, and you, you know you talked about your the, the surroundings. Was there anything else that informed about your upbringing, maybe your your home life or anything like that, that informed your kind of rebellious streak, your rebellious nature, and your your will, your kind of drive to like get out of that, you know, and play guitar and figure something out, that one in a million shot you were describing? When I left school, I, I kind of started a, my own education, you know, you know, I didn't I didn't learn much. Um, and and I, I had no interest in the stuff they were teaching me, um, you know, like the kings and queens. And yeah, yeah. it's just just nonsense. And the history, I didn't it. None of it kind of um, held any water. I didn't believe most of it. I thought, well, you know, wars are, you know, the, the, I fought and the victors write the history. So this is probably uh, a load of old garbage. And um, so I've, I've had a real healthy skepticism, um, which is, you know, still still there. And, just, so, and reflected in uh, um, the lyrics of the new album. Right. Okay. Now, now, so you, it was the damned your first band? No, I was in a band called Johnny Moped. Um, with, um, well, we called him Johnny. His real name's Paul Halford. I saw this bloke dancing at a party and he, he was the subject of ridicule. Everyone was laughing at him because he was like sort of doing this mad 
freak out dancing to uh, I think it was Brontosaurus by the Move. Yeah. If yeah, and uh, he was he was just going crazy as arms and legs flailing and uh, you know everyone else was laughing. I thought, wow, um, this is a potential front man for my band because <laughs> <laughs> he had no inhibitions whatsoever. Uh, you know, so and and I was absolutely right. He was a he is a complete um, you know genius you stick him on the stage and he, he he suddenly blossoms from like sort of just some burke to uh you know a rock god uh, he, he's just got total command of the stage and um and then you know once the gig's over he's just like some imbecile again so <laughs> a bit bit like my bit like my good self i might add <laughs> <laughs> so you're playing this band for for some time was it sort of proto-punk at that point like what, how would you describe it was yeah it was okay oh yeah nobody nobody liked us in uh, croydon where, where we uh, where we come from um all the other bands could play note perfect renditions of latest uh, rock songs or, or or chart hits um not us I mean, we couldn't play anything i didn't i didn't know any chords the sax player couldn't play a note but we we thought well we're avant-garde jazz why should we bother with any of that learning bloody riffs nonsense you know yeah well, um so so we were going on we were just um improvising uh, just just a wailing noise because we'd heard um captain beefheart and soft machine and we thought oh yeah that's us that is <laughs> Well, so, it's, yeah, it's... everyone hated us, and and once again, you know, from from being kind of you know destined to be just like sort of a forgotten bunch of you know no hopers, punk rock came along, and sort of nobody wanted note perfect rendition uh, renditions of um, you know King Crimson and Genesis songs. They wanted people who like sort of you know who meant it. You know, playing with like sort of you know some kind of manic passion, and that was us. I mean, we really meant it. I what I desperately wanted to get out of the toilet cleaning game. <laughs> Can't tell you. <laughs> no, I I can believe that. I think everyone who's in the toilet cleaning game wants out eventually. I think that's just natural. <laughs> but I I do think your impulse that you're describing is fascinating. It's very rare for me to have someone on the show who represents the pioneering early days of punk. And I, you know, it happens from time to time. And, and I do talk to people from various strains of punk and as it's evolved, but this notion of looking for something to do with your life and, and not being accepted, you, you say everyone hated you in your hometown. Everyone hated your band. And a lot of people pick up guitars and music for some acceptance to kind of establish themselves. So as I say, and, and, but why we're also fascinated by the early days of punk is because certain bands would get on stage and get booed and they were hated, but they just kept doing it. Can you, mm. des can you describe that sensation of, all right, I'm in a band yeah. and no one likes us, but this is great. Like that's a weird kind of impulse to yeah. have. And that's what you're describing. Can you, is that what it was like basically? Yes, uh, that was absolutely the experience of um, so many of uh, the first gigs of the Damned that I can remember, especially when we left the comfort zone of, um, you know, London, where, uh, you know, there was a kind of a like-minded group of people. It was, a, it was a melting pot you know, of 
people who put these bands together, you know, the Pistols, the Clash, and yeah. Generation X, and, and all the rest of them. I mean, we'd, we'd all go to each other's gigs. So at least, you know, there were a few people who would like sort of give you some sort of encouragement. But when you when you left London, um, you know, to go west or wherever, I know that you know there was there was stuff going on in Manchester, but but elsewhere, I mean, you would drive an audience to the door. Uh, you would end up with like sort of three or four people, maybe just the bar staff, you know, and and even they wanted to leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> But the thing was, that, yeah, we did persevere because we were making the music we wanted to hear and nobody else was doing it for us. Yeah. And that's why, uh, I mean, there was nothing else. Uh, these bands were playing 20-minute drum solos and they had songs about pixies and wizards. It didn't, it didn't relate to a, to a bloke in a council estate. I, I just didn't know what they were on about. You know, I'd never read a Tolkien or a <laughs> Narnia or, or any of that stuff. I'd, I wasn't interested. I wanted to I wanted to hear lyrics that, you know, spoke to me as, as a person. Yeah. And um, we had to do it for ourselves. Um, and, yeah, sure, we weren't as good as these other bands, but we really wanted to make the greatest music we possibly could. And um, the it started a, a musical adventure of the damned that uh, is still ongoing. You know, nothing. Uh, we, the, there's nothing that we see that we can't do. That's punk rock for you. You just don't. Nobody can tell you what you can and can't do, and um, yeah. it's really liberating to uh, to you know. I'd, we've never made the same album twice. Uh, and it's confused a lot of record labels and maybe maybe a few um, of our fans as well. Well, I, because we just do yeah. our own thing and and we do it, we do it for ourselves. Yeah, I was thinking back to what you were saying about not listening to contemporary music because it drives you nuts and, and it doesn't speak to you. And and you're kind of describing that the early days of the Damned uh, reflect that too. You were making music that you wanted to hear because no one else was making it. Does, does evil spirits, like does that same impulse drive you to this day when you listen to, or when you, when you go about making a record like this one, evil spirits, which is, I, I would think that someone who thinks of punk in a classic definition would hear this record and not see that connection. But to my ear, it does reflect that thread, you know, not just simply because it says the Damned on it. It does have a, a punk aspect to it is that same impulse driving you like making music in this band with these people because you're not there's a lack of it elsewhere yeah and um more than that i mean on this album uh, because it's been 10 years since we did the last one um it's almost as though you're making a new uh, your first album yeah uh to uh that's what it felt like we'd almost forgotten how to write songs and um it was, so it was a kind of a painful process to um, compile this collection of, of tunes. But having said that, and, and to a certain extent, we decided to revisit our past uh, when we started buying songs when we were kids, myself and Dave. Mm. And we were listening, listening to stuff like The Kinks, The Small Faces, uh, The Walker Brothers, uh, Phil Spector, you know, and... and so, some of the garagey stuff like the trogs and the seeds and we've so it's um the circle 
circle is complete now. Really, we've we've gone back to the music that we we first that that first got us into kind of um, playing uh, or wanting to be in a band in the first place. There's there's a lot of small faces in this album. Um, <laughs> there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There, um, there, are, there is a lot of small faces in the record, and I know this might be out of left field, but they just keep coming up on this show, no matter who I talk to, no matter what their age. Is there any doors in your history together? Is that, uh, is that an offensive reference to you, or, or were the doors uh, impactful in some way? Jim- Dave's, Dave's a very big Doors fan. Yeah, we sometimes um, uh, throw in. He, Dave, kind of um, throws in songs. Uh, on the fly and you have to kind of go with it if you uh if if you recognize the tune that he's singing and he, he often does the breakout through to the other side and bits, bits like that yeah he's a huge doors fan there's definitely some you know you guys have been tagged with all sorts of musical labels because as you say you change from album to album but certainly the kind of goth punk stuff that again i think you whether you accept that fr- uh, term or not, I think you were ahead of the curve on on that sort of sound, if 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 you will. And I I can't help but think it's drawn a little bit from certain Jim Morrison isms, if you will. Yeah, oh, I can hear that, and you know, I, I'm more of an Anglophile myself. <laughs> yeah. You're not a Los Anglophile. You're a you're a, you're an Anglophile. You don't you stay on the in in the in the homeland when it comes to influences. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> okay, so you say it was a painful process putting this record together. In terms of the the intent, lyrically, um, I want to get into that first, because we need voices like yours these days, I think more than ever, and I think my sense is there's a real relish in kind of talking about topical things here. Was there a discussion between you and Dave and the rest of the band members about what you wanted to kind of convey uh, lyrically with this record? Yeah, um, we uh, obviously, you know, we uh, turn the TV on occasionally and we see the same stuff that everyone else sees. And uh, just it's it's a really strange time to be living because, uh, I mean, the, whatever you think of Trump, I mean, there's a lot of Trump in this album and uh, not all of it complimentary. <laughs> um, yeah, he did he did bring up the debate on fake news, you know, and that is, that fascinates me because, uh, you just don't know where to get your uh, truth from these days. Um, yeah, you, you know, everyone's on the internet or what you, I mean, you turn your TV on, you people read newspapers, 
I mean, where is the truth? It's summer in there, but, you know, there's so much garbage as well. And um, I just, the, the shadow of the Iraq war, you know, it, it looms over Britain and uh, Tony Blair is still uh, free to walk, you know, um, around. Or One of these days, somebody should arrest the guy and uh, he should be tried for war crimes. Since then, you know, I've been very sceptical about anyone uh, suggesting that we go and bomb anywhere. I mean, not that I wasn't anyway. Um, uh, as a pacifist, I have to wonder, what, what, whatever did happen to the beautiful hippie dream of the 60s? Yeah. You know, the, the John Lennons, the Brian Wilsons, the Martin Luther Kings. You know, what, what's wrong with love and peace? Or where's it gone? Why do we have to keep bombing places, you know? I mean, I just don't believe a word of any of it. Uh, I, I, and I would rather kind of live in a peaceful world, but there you go. I mean, what, the, what can you do? I think there's there's actually more deep-seated... You mentioned John Lennon Martin Luther King, both assassinated. I think there's a deep-seated fear, uh, and it's diminishing a little bit, but I was going to say there's a deep-seated fear about speaking out on some level, Um and I, I think it's a it's a rel- relevant fear because, you know, when I think of songs like Daily Liar and Look Left and you talk about mistrust, it, it is very difficult to navigate yourself in this world uh, right now. And I appreciate that you in this your band in this record are trying to deal with this, you know, with with songs like Standing on the Edge of Tomorrow, this notion that there is hope somewhere somehow. Um, but you have to put through go go through a lot of crap to get there yeah uh, and the, there are you're right there's a lot of people um you know smart people who uh keep the gobs shut um, <laughs> for probably for, <laughs> for, for good reasons right i mean it's y- yeah, yeah sure yeah um but you know i mean i just don't like being lied to so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh, I I, i'm a punk rocker and i you know we were angry young men, and I'm still blooming angry. Yeah, um, it's better than writing, you know, I love, I love you, baby songs or any of that. Yeah, dross. You, you, I mean, me- <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it's been ten years since the last record by the Damned, and and that this was difficult uh, to make. But just in terms of the workflow, how does it work these days in terms of songwriting? Uh, is it a, is it completely collective? I know people come up with different songs. I know that um, Pinch wrote this very interesting kind of, uh, it, it basically became like a, a Broadway show. Uh, this uh, this song, Look Left, uh, is, is it has like a show, show tune quality almost to it. Um, and I'm just curious, like, is everyone just bringing in their ideas at this point and then and, and you're all fleshing them out or does anyone spearhead it? No, uh, we wrote individually and then they they come into the rehearsal situation and uh, get knocked around and whipped into shape and and, and it takes on the damn sound uh, we we polish up each other's tunes and it worked really well so much so that uh, we're all you know raring to go on a, on another one now um oh great yeah, it, it, it was it was really it was a great experience and it, it there was a lot of camaraderie and uh, togetherness uh, that I hadn't seen in the band for a long long time um everyone the, the experience of standing in a room together you know recording in old school fashion mm-hmm. um was you know 
it was really blooming good fun. And I, I, had, I have a lot of respect for my comrades. I mean, it's, Dave really came up with the goods um, as, a, as a singer and an ad-libber on, on every level. The bloke's a proper musician, you know, and yeah, um, yeah. although he doesn't play an instrument uh, so much, um, you know, he's, his voice is a real musical instrument and he always chooses the right notes. You know, it's very, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for that. Is that su- you, you, you seem surprised by what you're even saying. You seem a bit surprised that that occurred. Has that not always been the case? Um, no, but yeah, I think he surpassed himself, especially on um, Daily Liar, which was a song that I wrote the music about 20 years ago, and it was, I really didn't know what to do with it. Hmm. Um, and he finished it, he finished the lyrics off for me, and he did that incredible ad-lib piece in the middle, um, which really, uh, I was just gobsmacked, you know, yeah. um, full of admiration. I, I just thought, wow, this guy is really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, I think some of that comes with age, and that camaraderie comes with age. You, you settle down a little bit. In terms of, like your social dynamics improve, I think a little bit as you get older, don't you think? Yeah, well, I mean, do you, you, as a band, do you mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I think band, like you know, we're in an age where many punk bands are reuniting. You yourself have left the Damned at least once. How many times have you been in and out of the Damned? I can't recall. <laughs> oh, the first time we split was seventy-eight. <laughs> right, right. Um, no, I mean, the, the, of all the. You know the people who've been in the in the damned. I've always got on. I'm not not just saying this. Uh, you know, always got on well with Dave. We don't tread on each other's toes. I don't think, hmm. because all of his interests, you know, are his, and and I've, you know, leave most of them leave me cold, and um, it, it works. I mean, he really loves movies. I, I can't stand them. <laughs> you know, I, I've uh, the last film I watched was Superman. You know the. Um, about 20 years ago, so I took the kids there and fell asleep after two minutes. Um, oh, wait, wait a minute. Just, Do you mean like the newer Superman or like the original Superman? Like, uh, well, there was one out. My kids are now... Oh, like, like from this from this so, century kind of thing, not the Christopher Reeve yeah. Superman. Did you see the Christopher the Reeve? The Christopher Reeve one. It was the Christopher Reeve one, yeah. Oh, that's, that's the one? I, that's how old I am. <laughs> what is that like? You You just seem to have frozen yourself in cultural time. Like nothing beyond 1980 really seems to interest you at all that's fascinating it's it's, it's no, well, you know, you're, you know I yourself do. i guess i just don't like films oh generally i find, I find yeah really cliched and the music drives me nuts i mean um <laughs> yeah, terrible terrible music it's all like so cliched um <laughs> you mean like a film score that's what you're referring to the music yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. okay all right absolutely all right. appalling I, I mean, I would walk out of a film just if, on the basis of the music, the same as I did when I saw that punk group who um, I'd heard it all before. Yeah. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I just don't like regurgitated music. Well, why do it? You know, I like Rachmaninoff. He's great. Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to hear some Hollywood Burke, you know, stealing his riffs. You don't need John Williams um, or whatever. No, it's, Awful, absolutely <laughs> terrible. And don't get me started on Hans Zimmer. Do you know we gave him his first break in uh, showbiz? He did. Um, he did the synthesizers on uh, the Black Album. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he played uh, on a track called Curtain Call, and we did a elongated kind of um, psychedelic section in the middle, and that was Hans 
Zimmer's first uh, step on the showbiz ladder you know, <laughs> with with the dam, and here I am slagging him off. Was blah, he blah, was blah, he blah. a nice guy to work with at the time? Yeah, he was very funny. He made us all laugh. He said because he's got this kind of haughty German, um, right. semi-aristocratic kind of uh, <laughs> lingo that he. Oh, if I'd have wanted a, if I knew it would take that bloody long, I wouldn't have bloody well asked. <laughs> I want a double EQ, and I want it right now. Come on, you know, he said, ridiculous. Um, so it's not per- I mean, it's not personal. You just don't like you don't enjoy his cinematic work. No, I don't like his. I don't like his music. I don't like any of their music. I mean, he's, he was a laugh as a bloke. But I liked, liked him as a bloke. Um, no, but what I'm saying about Vanian is, you know, the stuff that he likes, I, I've got no interest in. Yeah. I go train spotting. I, I'm really fascinated by architecture and uh, and uh, old railway stations and um, things like that. And he's he's got no interest in that. But the only thing that you know, we have in common really is we, we both like garage punk. Yeah, and, I think when I was talking um, when I was talking about social dynamics in bands, I, I was I was talking about being in, in a band because I think when you're young, you're really trying to assert your own position in the band, and at some point, if you're lucky, the band kind of figures itself out that way. Like you, you become more relaxed in your own skin, and that translates into an easier, uh, you know, less tension between members because everyone's kind of calm or. They've put things in perspective. Some of them have families. And they realize what's really important. You know, I'm not going to get mad because you missed a note. Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that <laughs> is that true. Like, is that is that been your experience? Like, are, are people more settled in the dam than they were when you first began? I think we, we certainly we were a, we were a mad bunch back in the day, but I think a lot of that was alcohol fueled. Okay. Um, <laughs> nowadays, uh, nowadays we're more likely to, uh, deviate from, uh, the route on the way to a gig to, to find a cream tea or, a you know, <laughs> yeah. or a pre- preserved steam railway or something like that. Yeah. Uh, then, I mean, the old days, if the, if the vehicle stopped at traffic lights, the whole band would run out to the nearest pub and uh, the tour manager would chase after us and <laughs> um, yeah, all those sort of shenanigans. Yeah. Now, nowadays it's, it's much more genteel. Yes. Yes. And I, I think that comes with age and experience and, and just getting to know one another. Um, I do want to ask you one last thing, uh, just because I, I know that coming from the scene you came out of uh, the bands that people think of as being real punk pioneers are the, are the pistols and the clash, but I think for those who really know what was going on, the the damned were first. Do you does that resonate with you? Did you feel like you were the first on the scene to really make this kind of noise and put out records and singles and all that sort of stuff? Well, out of the London mob, um, we were the first to get a record deal, but that's only because we signed with a punk label, um, a small indie, indie uh, DIY label called Stiff Records. And um, Malcolm McLaren and Bernie Rhodes were waiting for their boys to get, a, you know, a nice big fat paycheck. And uh, for us, it was more about doing it the, the punk way. Yeah. Um, and Stiff Records was, it was, well, I'll never forget. We're all sitting in this little basement most of the time packing each other's records. I would pack Elvis Costello's and he would be 
you know, he put in the, uh, the the seven inch singles into the sleeves of I don't know whoever Rugalator or um, Nick Lowe or whoever. You know, mm -hmm. we're all mucked in and roaded for each other. It was um, all for one and one for all. It was yeah, very exciting time. But you know, um, nobody was making much money. I mean, they used to recycle the tape as well. There was That's only, right. I think Stiff, Stiff Records only had one reel of tape because they were quite expensive. So, uh, you know, you got one mix out of it and uh, then, you know, the, the damned album would be used for Elvis Costello or whoever else it was. Huh. And then his album would get wiped, you know. <laughs> so uh, you don't get any remixes on Stiff Records, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel comfortable with the damn place in history? I think we celebrate the Pistols and the Clash more, uh, particularly because they... Uh, are done and they they don't longer exist and they were a flash and relative flash yeah. and, and then they were gone. Um, are you comfortable with the legacy of not not the legacy of your band, but how you're regarded? I feel like sometimes the damned is shortchanged because they just kept at it. I know people do say that, but you know, you, I think you're supposed to uh, crash and burn, you know, and in a blinding flash of brilliance and then like sort of fuck off and die basically. Mm. Um, but we but we carried on. Don't bother me in the slightest because you know, to be quite honest, anything's a bonus after cleaning toilets. <laughs> I'm I'm very happy with our position in life. I'm I'm really happy that we, even that we didn't become kind of multimillionaires, yeah. because it's enabled us. It's forced us to keep out keep out on the road, you know, and do gigs. So I've done more. I've had more fun. I've done more shows than any of the aforementioned bands that you mentioned. Yeah. It's been absolutely brilliant to travel the world over the last 40 years and do all the shows, meet all the people, go to all these amazing places. And, um, you know, just have it's just been a wonderful life. I, I, you know, the alternative, I suppose, is to like sort of sit at home and, you know, just have loads of money and, you know, become a fat plonker. <laughs> but I, but I never had that opportunity. So uh, here we are out on the on the roads doing it still. Come to a gig sometime. We're bloody brilliant. Yeah, I need the money. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah, <laughs> blah. <laughs> well, I I do deeply appreciate that you're doing this. You you did say that uh, you might be gearing up for another. It's interesting. You said it felt like you had come full circle on some level with with evil spirits in terms of going back to your youth and, and those influences, but you also just said you feel like you're ready to maybe make another record, right? Is that what you were getting at? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We we came up with about, well, I know exactly how many songs we came up with. There's 22. And uh, Tony Visconti and uh, the record label chose 10 to uh, record for the album. And, of course, they chose the ones that they considered to be, you know, I suppose the most commercial. Yeah. Um, so, to a certain extent, Evil Spirits sounds like it sounds like a best a best of greatest hits compilation to my ears. Yeah. All the songs are really melodic, and uh, they all sound as though they're competing to be the singles. Um, yeah, that's but fair. The, yeah. the other tracks, the the other um, twelve tracks, there's some weird gear in there, and uh, <laughs> I'm rather interested in. Uh, recording some of that because um like i said you know evil spirits was a little bit like uh making a first album yeah so uh, second album is it might even be uh more fun to do um a little bit more experimental 
and I do love dabbling in uh, studios, you know, with uh, crazy ideas and stuff. I mean, it's always worked for us in the past. Yeah, you mentioned Tony Visconti there, who produced this record, and and he worked notably, <coughs> obviously very notably with with David Bowie. Uh, first of all, what, what, if you can characterize that experience working with Tony, and then f- following up on that, would you would you do you think it would be would would it, would it make sense to work with him on these subsequent these songs that didn't make it to Evil Spirits? Would you want to work with him again? <laughs> Sure. I mean, I'd love to. Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, whether, you know, uh, I mean, we'd have to go through the pledge uh, process again because you can only afford to uh, employ someone of that stature. Yes. If you've either, uh, if you either sell bucket loads of records on a regular basis, which we don't, or you have uh, some huge record label with, you know, um, deep pockets. Right. Uh, which which we don't, you know. So the only way we could do this album was uh, basically through the the fans, you know, paying for Tony paying Tony's wages, paying his fee, and uh, which was such an incredible surprise because I didn't think it would be possible to get someone like um, Tony Visconti, but it was, you know, but it happened, and um, it it was a very interesting experience because you don't you. It's really difficult to know what a producer does. A lot of a lot of people don't understand what a producer does. And right, in Tony's, right. you know, some of them are geniuses at uh, arrangement. Some of them can transform a tune from, you know, uh, I mean, you know, like uh, uh, you know uh, the bloke who did the Beatles. I can't remember his name. George Martin. That's what happens when you. George Martin, that's what happens when you get old, you forget stuff like that. Um, <laughs> you know, and um, so producers come in various different forms, and some of them are names, you know, famous names that you stick on a, on the album, yeah. um, which, you know, but they're actually not actually much good at producing. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a lot of that about. But, you know, to, to get Tony Visconti was... Um, it was incredible, really, for a band like The Damned. And he is a great enabler. Um, he, he, everything he did on the album just kind of made everything sound so much better. Oh, I don't great. know That's awesome. how, how you would, he would des- describe the process, but um, he did put us through it a little bit, I have to say. Um, I don't take orders um, <laughs> well, usually. <laughs> uh, not, neither does Dave. I mean, he really put Dave through it. He, he wanted Dave to live the um the content of the song that you know reflecting the you know the delivery the you know the the anger in some of the lyrics yeah um which uh, and uh, he really put dave for it and it was it was remarkable to see um and dave would come out kind of you know he he doesn't often sweat but um <laughs> yeah there was definitely a couple of beads on the brow well, I mean, for uh, what it's worth, the performances are excellent. So whatever Tony did, I mean, I think it worked out. Yeah, yeah, I I do. Yeah, it's um, it was a good yeah, it was a good experience. And uh, I, I mean, as far as the future is concerned, I I'm so you know I limit my record collection to kind of you know glorious classics. Yes. Like you know I mentioned Sergeant Pepper and. Uh, you know, some of that stuff, the, the kinks and, you know, so some of the greatest records ever made, you know, Zeppelin twos in there. And do you have a copy of, Re- do you have a copy of Revolver? I like Revolver. Revolver. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. And, so, 
But yeah, uh, number one is um, the Satanic Majesty's Request, which oh, we, we think is Brian Brian Jones's uh, masterpiece, his swan song. That's fascinating. That's um, considered the Stones' folly by many people, but you think it's their masterpiece. No, it's the best thing they ever did by far. Interesting. Every note is gold dust. And Brian Jones, you know, plays all the interesting things on the album, the Mellotron yes. and some of the saxophone and the, the, the vibes. And, yeah, that's all Brian Jones. All the clever stuff is him. Yep. Even, the, even the snoring between tracks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a work of genius. And, um, yeah, that's been our template, uh, our, our blueprint for, you know, for a long time. I have to say that album is... Oh, okay. Is, I, we, I find it endlessly inspiring. You know, when I, I don't know... I've never had any lessons. I don't know any music theory. But somebody told me that the chord we used on on curtain call, the big the yep. big chord in the middle with the, the droney organ, they said that's a minor seventh, that is. I said, oh, that's interesting. I, I only knew because we purloined it from... Uh, one of the songs on the, um, the Satanic Majesty's request. Ah, okay. But um, so anyway. I don't know why you brought. Why did you bring this up? You were saying the future, the Stones. I don't know where this. <laughs> know. Oh yeah, but no. I mean, you know, I I want you know I'm not stupid enough to put us in the same bag as as uh, these incredible bands. But I want to. I'm never going to be happy until I've created is every album i see as an opportunity to create a masterpiece right um as as good as the ones i've got you know in in my on my shelves at home and that's what i try to do each time and of course you know it's a thankless task being in a punk group <laughs> trying to trying to recreate you know sergeant pepper but there you go that's that's what i uh, try to do well, I, I mean, I appreciate your ambition, and, and I think you're close. If you haven't done it already, you're very close, Captain. I, I appreciate what you're doing. I, uh, Where can people learn more about The Dam these days on the Internet? I don't know where to tell them to go at the moment. Oh, officialdam.com. Okay. And um, I'm on Twitter as uh, uh, Sensible Captain, at Sensible Captain. Sensible, at Sensible yeah. Captain. That's a remarkable moniker, by the way. It's just perfect. <laughs> well, of course, it was, you know... Ironic. I, I was uh, I was very badly behaved, drunk, and um, somebody said, somebody said you got to write Captain Sensible there, ha ha ha, and I thought, oh, that'll do as a stage name. It's good. It's very good. It's evocative. I appreciate it. Is there one single song from Evil Spirits that you would select for the people listening to this to to hear right now? Um, I, well, I've got, of course, I'd have to. Here's one of mine. I I, I would. Uh, I, I mean, I do like the uh, Dave's uh, Shadow uh, Shadow Evocation is excellent, and uh, Standing on the Edge of Tomorrow. There's fantastic tunes. You know, there's a lot of B movie kind of um, yeah, yeah. spy theme um, elements in there. But um, I would my my favourite would have to be one of mine because you know that's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> um, I would go for Sonar Deceit. Uh, okay. And the the reason being because. Uh, the, you know, you're always opening the newspapers and you see these beached whales and everyone's going, oh, what could possibly cause a whale, to a school of whales to throw themselves, to prostrate themselves on beaches of the world? Why do these mysteries happen? What could possibly cause it? Well, it's military sonar. Right. Everyone knows that. Right. We all know that's the truth of it. Stop doing it. All right. Well, if you're interested in... 
if you're interested in whales and dolphins, don't go out there blowing their eardrums out with this bloody sonar. You there know, you go. That's that's just end like, of end of rent. No, that was good. <laughs> I don't think that's something I've contemplated too much. So I appreciate that uh, that perspective and pointing that out. I, I do, I do indeed. So this is Sonar Deceit from the uh, latest record by the Damned called Evil Spirits. Captain Sensible, this was a, a tremendous pleasure and honor. Thank you for your time and best of luck with the future. Cheers. Not, nice to talk to you. Yeah.
Huge, huge thanks to Captain Sensible of the Damned for being on this, the 393rd episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify and YouTube and Audio Boom. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for on any of those platforms, or if you wish to learn more about me or sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. That's V-I-S-H-K-H-A-N-N-A dot C-O-M, com. Like Creative Control on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, so like us on uh, Facebook there. Follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative or follow me at Vish Kana. You can listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time, around the world at CFRU.ca, or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Please uh, visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep this podcast going. It really does mean the world, and we've had some uh, recent pledges and, and people increasing pledges, I've noticed. So thank you so much for doing that. And if you'd like to help, again, patreon.com slash creative control. I'd like to thank all the in-kind support I receive uh, from uh, all the uh, people who support the show, all the companies, all the small independent businesses. I'd like to thank my crew at the Entertainment One Podcast Network, the CFRU crew as well. I'd like to thank Jim Guthrie for letting me use the instrumental version of The Rest is Yet to Come to end the show each week. That's what you're hearing right now in the background. Go to jimguthrie.org for more information about him and his music. And once again, endless thanks to you for listening to this show and telling your friends about it, potentially downloading episodes, reviewing episodes, subscribing to the podcast. It all makes it feel worth it and i enjoy doing it i hope you enjoy listening to it i will talk to you i have more there's lots more to come i feel like i think eh, you never know but i think i, I know I, there'll be more to come I, I i will go for now i will go away and i will talk to you very very soon i hope you're well best of luck i don't know this is becoming a weird reading card at the end I, it, normally it's much smoother i'll just say it i'll just say what i normally say bye for now catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.